scripture reading this morning is found in Mark chapter 8, it's verse 27 through 38. It'll go along with the sermon entitled, Live Long and Prosper, Success. The Bible in your pew, it's on page 1055. I'll start at verse 27 of chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is a verse, this 36, that for whatever reason comes to my mind uh, a, a lot. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. All right, well, here we are. And we're wrapping up this series, Live Long and Prosper. And it was, it was just appropriate timing. That It was funny, I named this thing and then found out that they were releasing a Star Trek movie this summer. So it just, sometimes you're good and you don't even know it. So <laughs> this was one of those cases. And, and of course that's based on you know, the Star Trek thing, Live Long and Prosper. But like we said, they stole that from the Bible. And so we're just kind of stealing it back, borrowing it back. And this series is actually, it's a little bit peculiar because uh, we're actually kind of talking about some false teaching that has pervaded the church, especially in America, that really kind of focuses on this, well, it's called a prosperity gospel or prosperity theology. And they take verses oftentimes out of context and they use those to make it sound like if you follow Christ, then you ought to be wealthy, you ought to be healthy all the time, and you ought to be successful in all that you do. And so we've been kind of taking one of those at a time. We've looked at 
health and wealth already. And today we take the final one, we look at success. And just uh, we're just trying to kind of do what Paul instructed Timothy to do. Because see, he warned, his, he was a mentor to uh, Timothy, the Apostle Paul was. And this young pastor, he was pouring into his life. And we have letters written from the Apostle Paul to this young man. And he told him, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Right? And so, what was uh, Paul's advice? Preach the word, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. And so, we're trying to kind of do that with this series this summer. And, and we've kind of just looked at the idea that if your hope is for a long, prosperous life, your hope is too small. <laughs> All right? That God has a kind of a different thing going in mind. And, and it's also been incredible to me to see how uh, these, this is not something new. You know, it's kind of, in some ways, unique to our culture with regard to how, you know, how far reaching it is compared to Christian cultures where there's a lot more persecution for your faith and that kind of thing. Uh, it's less likely that you're going to buy into because <laughs> you, know, you say, I see you and, and you look like you're having trouble. So I'm not buying the whole prosperity thing. But in America and, and with the American dream and all that, it's easier to sell. And so, you know, men have taken advantage of that through the ages, just as they have in politics and business and whatever. If they can convince you that by coming to their church, uh, you'll have a more prosperous life, then, hey, that's better for them. And um, then you're likely to come and to give and all that. And, and so that works good. So sometimes it's an easy road for people to take. And, but it reaches all the way back to when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He tempted him with wealth and health. And he also tempted him. The last temptation with Jesus was he, he took him up to a mountain and, and showed him the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all of it. All the success you can imagine. You'll, you'll have it all. And, and people are still tempted to, for that kind of success. Today, we all like to have success. And, and it's one of those things that we long for from an early age. And it's interesting though that even if you achieve success, you can still end up with a mess. And uh, we all know this to be true. I, Hadley's got a friend named David. Hadley's three, David's six. A lot of you probably know David. Uh, he comes here from time to time. He's Vicky and Mike's grandson, and, and they're pretty tight friends. And, but it's been cracking me up because David's been reminding me of myself as a six-year-old. And, and it's just amazing to me how early boys start showing off for girls. And, and I remember when I was six years old, I, I was out in my front yard, and the neighbor girls, there were two neighbor girls standing out in their front yard and my goal you know my idea of success in that moment was if I could just keep them laughing alright so I was doing all kinds of crazy antics that a six year old boy would do and finally that ended up with me rolling around in the grass because you know who doesn't like to watch a kid roll around in the grass right and so I was succeeding I was having good success they were enjoying it quite a lot and then I rolled over a bee and the bee was not impressed <laughs> at all. And so I got stung on my neck and didn't know what in the world just happened. I'd shot up and into the house screaming and crying. 
And I remember on my way out, or in, <laughs> that I was a little offended that they were just bent over, doubled over, rolling, laughing at this latest, you know, deal that I had done for their attention, I guess. In their, in their eyes, it was just one more act, you know, part of the act, I guess. And so, in a sense, I succeeded beyond my wildest dreams, but, you know, it didn't feel that good in the end. <laughs> And, and I think that we all kind of experience sometimes where, you know, even if we achieve success, if we achieve it the wrong way or the wrong, wrong kind of success, we can still end up with a mess. And a big way that we do that is we try to impress the wrong people. I mean, when it comes down to it, that's what success is, right? Is impressing the people you're trying to impress. When the people you want to impress are duly impressed, you have succeeded, Right? And in business, if you succeed with your business, then your boss is impressed. And that's how you know you are successful, you know. And, and you can buy the nice car, and then the other people are impressed. And, and so you, you know that you're successful, because people that you're trying to impress are impressed. You know, when you're a kid, and you're trying to make good grades, well, that, you know, you're trying to impress your teachers, your parents, whomever... Or if you're not trying to make good grades, you're trying to impress your friends that you don't care, right? <laughs> you're against the system. And so, whoever you're trying to impress, if you succeed in, in, in impressing them, then, then that's success. But sometimes, when we try to impress the wrong people, that doesn't work out so good. And even success can really end up being a mess. And so how can we make sure that we're pursuing the right kind of success. That's really what it boils down to today because this isn't so much a sermon about how success is evil. This is a sermon about pursuing the right kind of success. And often what is preached and taught with this idea of prosperity gospel, even though they'll use scripture to try and back it up, is not the right kind of success. For instance... There's a very popular verse when it comes to this. And for many of you, it may be one of your favorite verses. Don't worry, I won't step on your toes too bad, I hope. But the thing is, when we take one verse and we don't ever discuss the context, then we, we risk missing the point, right? In fact, there's a, there's a biblical scholar who likes to say, a, a text without a pretext, without a context, sorry, a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to be. <laughs> you, can, you can just take it and run with it. And one of those verses is Philippians 4.13. I can do, read it with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love that verse. It's, yeah, <laughs> whatever I'm needing to do, I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. Another guy that loves this verse is a basketball player named Stephen Curry. And he actually started writing it on his shoes. I think they print it on there for him now. And I don't think he has to use a Sharpie anymore. They just, you know, Under Armour just prints it there for him. And, uh, and sends it to him in the mail. And uh, then he can have a new pair for every game or whatever they do. So, this is, which why would you want a new pair of shoes for every game? You've got to take at least ten games just to break them in, right? But I can do all things. I can do all things. And I hear this in sports all the time, you know, as though Jesus is just waiting there to help them win the Super Bowl and not the other team, you know. <laughs> and it just it doesn't work that way. The, uh, 
Stephen Curry, it didn't even really work for him. I mean, he made it to, the, he did get to be the MVP this year, so maybe it helped some, but it didn't help him in Game 7 of the finals at all. And uh, he was not able to do that particular thing. The context of that verse is that, uh, you know, Paul is talking about how he's content in, in even really difficult times. I mean, he's in prison. And he's saying, even in difficult times, whether I have a lot and I have plenty, or whether I have nothing except the, you know, the shirt on my back, if that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It could also read, I can endure all things, or I can persevere through all things. I can stay faithful in the midst of any circumstance because Christ is my strength. And that's the message. But of course, that context wouldn't really help, uh, you know, Steph Curry's agent negotiate his next multi-million dollar deal. So, so you don't really share that context. It's just about success and achieving whatever success you desire. And we take it out of context sometimes. Well, what does Jesus have to say about success? And we looked at this passage that we read a few moments ago, and, and I think it has a lot to do with success, especially when we start looking at some of what was going on when Jesus spoke the words that he spoke to them in that day. Now, the, the, what was happening when this took place was that Jesus was getting really popular. You might say he was having a lot of success. The crowds were getting bigger and bigger. In fact, right before this passage that we read today, he had just fed a crowd of 5,000 dudes, not to mention their wife and kids, wives and kids. That's a lot of people. But I don't care who you are. <laughs> That's a lot of people. And then again, 4,000 people in another spot. And fed them as well. I mean, those are big miracles with big crowds. And, you know, no matter what your standard of success is, that's success, right? He was having a ton of success. And maybe it was almost too much because he decided to take a staff retreat. And so he, he took his disciples north. If they were in New York, they headed to Canada. All right? They kind of crossed the border to this town called Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. It was named after a couple of dudes. <laughs> one named Philip and one named Caesar. And of course we know about Caesar and Rome and all that. And so he takes them north. Let's get out of town for a little bit, guys, and let's have some conversations about what's going on. And he starts to talk to his disciples. You know, who do you think that I am? Who, who do people, first of all, say that I am? What's going on? And, you know, the disciples, they're excited. I mean, there's a lot of buzz about Jesus right now. In fact, Jesus is kind of, since John the Baptist just tragically passed away, Jesus is kind of the last Messiah candidate standing. And so his popularity is growing. He's kind of got a a corner on that market, if you will, and that people are coming in droves to see, is this the Messiah? And for his disciples, you know, they kind of viewed this as, as like, almost like a, you know, campaign, like a political campaign. You know, we can, if we can get Jesus elected Messiah, good things are going to happen. And, and Jesus says, well, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, well, I think you're the Son of God. You're the, the one that we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. And, and there's this great moment, you know, in time there. But then right after that, you have some crazy things and crazy conversations start to unfold. And Jesus 
in his disciples' view anyway, loses his way, starts sticking his foot in his mouth, saying some bizarre things. And I think the fact that this is kind of like a similar to a, a, a campaign, and we're in the middle of a presidential campaign, I, I, don't, I think the Trump campaign might be actually a pretty good illustration for us today. Don't worry, I'm not drawing a line between Trump and Jesus. <laughs> but, but I think that we can draw some parallels that might help us understand what was going on here. Because sometimes, you know, people have had a hard time explaining the Donald Trump campaign and some of the Donald Trump success. And, and in similar fashion, there were some similar things going on back then. And like I say, his disciples saw this as, this is our chance. This is our chance. So in their minds, when the Messiah came, and if they could get him you know, elected Messiah, if everyone would recognize him as the Messiah, then things would start falling into place. The country would be united against Rome, and, and they could fight against Rome and win their freedom, and, and just lots of really good things were going to happen. But the problem was, their candidate kept putting his foot in his mouth kept saying crazy things. Alright? And we all know that the Donald is known for saying some crazy things. <laughs> and, and sometimes leaves his own party scratching their heads a little bit, right? And uh, in fact, it's, it's gotten, you know, maybe he's saying, this is going to be huge. <laughs> I'm, a ter- I'm terrible at impressions. I don't know why I try, but I do. And, and so what, is, what, is, what happens is, is Paul Ryan comes and calls a meeting with him. All right? And if you follow the news at all, Paul Ryan's the Speaker of the House and the you know, highest ranking Republican right now. And he, he calls up Donald. And they have a, a summit and they say, and, and Paul says, you know, it's closed door, but we all know he's saying something like, come on, man, you're killing us. You know, you're, you're saying all this crazy stuff. Let, let's get it dialed back a little bit. Well, Peter pulls a Paul Ryan here, okay? And he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, we, we got to get the message right here. Because, see, the first thing Jesus did wrong is he got the strategy wrong. See, everyone knows if you're running, if you're campaigning to be the Messiah or to be the president or whoever, then, then you've got to get the word out, right? You've got to get people excited. You've got to... Say what all you're going to do, and, and you got to, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be good. So you got to get the posters out and the banners going and all that stuff. But Jesus, he's like, nope. We're going to kind of fly this one under the radar, guys. I don't want posters, don't want billboards, don't want TV time, no ads. Uh, don't, don't sign me up for the debates. Uh, we're just going to fly this one under the radar, all right? You know, Jesus was all the time telling people, hey, you know, don't tell anybody that I just healed you. <laughs> you know, he was, he was just kind of, he was not put, when he'd talk about himself being the Messiah, he'd always kind of, usually kind of soften it up a little bit and, and not just come right out and say it straightforward. And, and this was driving the disciples crazy, We've got to get the word out. We've got to let people know what's going on. We've got to get the crowds bigger and bigger, right? This is where we're moving in the right direction. We've got to keep that momentum going. And the second thing that Jesus got wrong, because every politician knows that you always forecast positive, right? I mean, no matter how bad the polls are, 
we're still in this. All right? We can still make this happen. We can pull it through. We, things are looking better than ever. I know I'm just pulling at 2% right now, but, but I'm telling you we're about to turn a corner and things, and then the very next day, you know, is when they, they suspend their campaign. But, <laughs> but you always forecast positive. But Jesus starts talking about how things are going to get bad, guys. It's going to get bad. They're not going to like me. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to have to suffer. They're going to kill me. And then, you know, I'll come back. But, you know, it's going to be a bad. It's going to get bad. And this was a problem, first of all, because that's negative. <laughs> that's negative campaigning, right? You don't want that. That's negative campaigning on yourself. Nobody in their right mind does that. But also, this was not the Messiah narrative, all right? And back then, what they were looking for was that guy to come in to unite the, the, the Democrats and the Republicans, or sorry, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who couldn't see eye to eye, and, but the Messiah was going to come in and unite everybody, and everyone was going to be just, hey, yeah, here we are, we've got the guy, and we're going to kick Rome out, and we're going to be... God's people again and, and they had this whole vision of what it was going to look like and it certainly did not involve the Messiah being killed. Sorry. And that's, this is one of the strong... It didn't even involve resurrection at all. They didn't even really have a concept of resurrection the way like a physical bodily resurrection. It was more like a spiritual thing. And this is one of the strongest cases for Jesus actually dying and resurrecting. Is that no one was expecting this. If someone wanted to write what everyone was wanting to hear, this was not the script they would write. Because no one wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And so Peter takes him aside, right? Jesus, come on now. We've got to stop this kind of talk. We've got to stop this kind of nonsense. Things are going good. We believe you're the Messiah. Let's get this show on the road. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, you're talking about the wrong kind of success. And he says this, not privately to Peter. It says he's looking at the other disciples when he says this. So it's a, let's make this known. And then, just to be real clear, he calls a press conference. He, it says that he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples. Hey, everybody, bring it in, bring it in. Let's just get something clear here. If anyone would come after me... He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you thought, if you're here because you thought we're going to the top. If you're here because you thought things are getting good. If you're here because you think we're about to have some awesome success. Think again. Don't even bother to follow me unless you're ready to take up your cross. The evil instrument of torture and death. Unless you're willing to bear suffering with me, don't even bother. 
Because this thing is not going in the direction you think it's going. And that's when he utters his famous words that Marlon mentioned and pointed out a minute ago. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What good is it if we have all this success that you all want? (laughs) But we forfeit our souls in the process. And then these really tough words. You know, are, are you ashamed of my message, Peter? Are you ashamed of my message, disciples? You don't like the words that I'm saying? You don't think my forecast is bright enough? Or my strategy is right? Well, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. When Jesus uses the word Son of Man... In, the, in context like this and talking about coming in glory with angels and he's referencing a, a chapter in Daniel Daniel 7, a prophecy in the Old Testament that was very popular in Jesus' day and people, everyone in that time was looking for the Messiah and this was one of the big prophecies about the Messiah this was one of the big ones that, that people really thought that it, it was depicting their time and that in their time the Son of Man which is what that prophecy calls the Messiah, was going to come. And, and, and it was going to be good. And so everyone was on the lookout for the Messiah. And any time Jesus uses the word Son of Man to reference himself, he's referencing that prophecy about the Messiah. And everyone there understands what he's saying. So here he's saying, what you think the Messiah is doing and what I think the Messiah is doing is two separate things. And seeing as I am the Messiah, we're going to go with my version of things. And if you don't like it, it's time to go. If you'll be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. What Jesus was boiling down to here is that success for him was not the crowds. Success for him was not all the things and the dreams that the people had for what the Messiah would do. The thing that ultimately was success in Jesus' book was Am I doing what the Father sent me to do? Am I accomplishing the mission that He sent for me? Because I can have all the success in the world, but if I don't impress Him, what good is it? And so, our takeaway from this is that real success impresses God. Or if you want something that rhymes a little bit, you could say, real success leaves God impressed. Something like that. I tried to get it to be like real successes impresses, (laughs) but just the grammar drove me crazy, so we just left it. Uh, But you can make it however you want. But the point is that real success is success that impresses God. Because what good is it if you impress everybody else in the world, but in the end you haven't impressed God? How does this play out? in our everyday lives. How can we make sure that we're trying to impress the right person in our lives? I think sometimes we have to stop and we have to take inventory. What are we pursuing in our lives? What is our idea of success? And is it the right idea of success? see the world tells us things like you know if you're a parent 
success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids, right? But God's version of success is raising them up and instructing them in the ways of the Lord, right? That's two very different things. So are you going to be ashamed when other parents are looking at you like you're the crazy parent? Because <laughs> they will. When, when your kid doesn't have all the stuff that their kid has, why, won't, why haven't you given them a cell phone at, by age 12 or whatever, you know? It's younger and younger all the time. Why won't you let them see this movie? Why won't you do this? Why haven't you enlisted them in, in 14 extracurricular activities so they can be, well, sorry, well-rounded and, and well-educated is not my top priority. What's going to happen when, when you hold your kid out of practice because church is more important? God is more important. You want to send the message to your kid that our faith trumps the other stuff. And, and the other parents are like, you're doing what? Are you committed to winning or what? <laughs> Who are we trying to impress? In our careers, the world sees success as climbing the ladder, right? Getting the promotions, getting the awards, being recognized in your field for excellence or whatever the case may be. But God's version of success has very little to do with whether you're promoted or recognized. And it has to do, did you work hard with excellence, with integrity as unto the Lord? Did you serve others before yourself? Will you be ashamed when your boss doesn't like the fact that your Christian morals keep you from landing the sails sometimes? You stick to the truth. Will you be ashamed when someone that you helped gets the promotion that you thought you should have deserved? But you were doing it God's way. You were helping them. You were serving others. The world says that success is found in stuff. You know, if you have enough stuff, if you have more stuff than your neighbor, then you're more successful than your neighbor, right? So, I mean, you know, it's not good enough to have cable and, and nice cars and a nice house. It's got to be better than other people's. That's how we gauge whether we're successful, right? It's how much stuff we can accumulate and impress people with. But is God impressed with our stuff? God is impressed when we, with generosity, right? With things like that. So are we going to be ashamed when our kids don't have as fancy a Christmas present as our neighbor? Because we just have different priorities. Are we going to be ashamed when we park our car next to our co-worker's car? Think, huh, <laughs> when did they get that? <laughs> the world says success is a nice, comfortable retirement. I think God would rather see us serving Him with all we've got as long as we've got. 
The world says that success in church is growing bigger and bigger churches, building bigger and bigger buildings, multiplying ministries. God says success is things like unity. Going and making disciples. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. Now see, the thing is, that the disclaimer here is that success is not evil. None of those things that we just mentioned, I mean, having well-rounded, well-educated kids is not evil, is it? Getting promoted at work is not evil. Having some stuff is not evil. None of these things are evil. Success is not evil. I mean, we just said Jesus was having success in droves, right, when he said these words. He was having success by anyone's standard at that time. This isn't about whether people think we're successful. It's regardless of whether people think you're successful, does God think you're successful? Because if you have all the success in the world, but you haven't succeeded in impressing God, then what good is it? Because in the end, we're told that we're going to stand with everybody and everything from our lives is going to be laid bare before the judge who I might also add is a good loving judge who gave his life for us but it's going to be all laid out there and when you look at all the things of your life are you going to think wow glad I did that stuff or are you going to think why in the world did I think that was so important We have to think from that perspective of what's going to impress God. What's going to impress my Savior. I had to wrestle through this recently in a, in a very personal way. When I, uh, when I came here to be the pastor at Cypress Street Church of God, it's a kind of a daunting step to move from you know, associate pastor role to a lead pastor role and and sometimes it can feel like there's a lot of pressure along with that. And so I had a really healthy perspective when I came here. And, and I prayed prayers like, God, I know you've equipped me for ministry. You've called me to ministry. I know that I can do the things that you've called me to do here. What I don't know if I can do is, is grow a church. I have no way to, I mean, I'm not even to this day convinced that anyone knows how to grow a church. Just some people have been at churches that have grown and they write books about it that sound pretty impressive. But when other people try to do it at their church, it doesn't work the same way, you know. So I'm not convinced that anyone really knows how to grow a church. And I said, God, that one's up to you. Grow it, shrink it, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to do the best I can with what you've called me and equipped me to do. And I just kind of had that perspective. But after a while, you know, it wears on you because you go, to, you go to preacher conferences and get-togethers and ministry things and, uh, or just really anywhere in life when you tell someone you're a pastor and they want to ask you how are things going. And, and the question is always, you know, well, is the church growing? I guess I bet it's growing. I bet it's booming, right? And, and so, you know, if you say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, it's taking off, man, taking off, then, then you're big stuff. And you get, all of a sudden, you get invitations to, to teach conferences and, and sit on committees and, because your opinion matters because you know what you're doing, clearly. 
But if you say, well, you know, a little. Or, eh, you know, we're, we're holding our own. Or heaven forbid you have to say, <laughs> things have been a little rough. Well then, hmm, okay. You you're, don't know if you know what you're doing or not. We, maybe next year we'll invite you to speak at something. Maybe next year. And there's this pressure that's put on pastors, you know, to, oh, you know, are you growing? Are you doing? And it kind of wears on you after a while. And I found myself, even just a, about a month or two ago, where I was just like, man, I've got to figure out how to grow this thing, you know? I've got to really just got to take off so people know that we're doing good things here at Cypress Street. And, uh, and, and I'm so thankful for a couple of messages that I heard, because I listen to preachers too, <laughs> and, uh, and, a co- and just some prayers that I prayed, and, and just in my prayer life with God, that you know, he just really kind of brought me back to focus on what matters most and what's going to impress him. And at the end of the day, you know, if we, if we were to grow and grow, but not do those things that matter most to God, what good would that be? And so, you know, in my life, across the board, I don't want to just raise Hadley and Peter to be well-rounded, happy kids. I want to raise them in the ways of God. Where at least there's no excuse when they choose what they choose at the end. I lived it in front of you. I taught you about it. I want to do my part. And I think if I do that to the best of my ability, then at the end of the day, God's going to say, I'm impressed, Neil. I, I don't want to just care about climbing the ladder in this career ministry and making it to the top where everyone, you know, I'm an in-demand speaker or whatever. I would rather serve faithfully and do what God calls me to do to the best of my ability and leaving the results of it to Him and to the Holy Spirit and know at the end of the day, I can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I called you to do. I don't want to just compile stuff that impresses people. I want to become more generous. I'm coming to grips more and more that that retirement in this day and age is is a luxury not all of us will have. Who knows what the market's going to do, right? And I'm, becoming, I'm coming around to caring less and less about that because I figure God's going to want me to keep going as long as I can keep going anyway. <laughs> so maybe retirement's not all it's cracked up to be. We'll see. But at the end of the day, I just want... I, don't want, I mean, I don't think God's going to be impressed if I have got to spend my last couple decades on the golf course, you know? What about you? What do you need to fill the blank in with on your card? Can you identify an area of your life where you've been aiming at impressing people instead of God? Would you be willing to write a thing or two down and say, you know what, God, I'm going to start praying about this because I want to make sure I'm impressing the right person. I want to make sure that I'm impressing you with my life. Can you imagine? I mean, if we all lived our lives for the applause of heaven rather than the applause of man, how many funny looks we'd get in this world <laughs> from our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers and our peers. 
where they all talk about, you know, man, you've got great kids, but you're sure a crazy parent. <laughs> and they say, well, you really ought to, you know, stretch the truth a little bit and sell the car, man. Sell the car. Push the product. What's wrong with you? Imagine for a moment and just think for a moment how does the, the greatest success of this world measure up against heaven's applause? I mean, if you were to have streets named after you, if you were to have foundations created in your honor, if you were to receive the most prestigious awards in your industry and lifetime achievement awards and, and everyone wanted to invite you to dinner and everyone wanted to be, hey, I know him, got his autograph. And compare that to heaven's applause. And if you're honest with yourself, which would you rather have? At the end of the day, let's keep in mind that one attaboy from God is better by far than all the accolades and success this world has to offer. Real success impresses God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, thank you for always shooting straight with us. God, we admit that sometimes the applause of this world is awfully appealing and attractive. So Holy Spirit, change our hearts and our priorities to focus on the things that you view as success. And we pray these things by the authority of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.